This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. Welcome, everybody. I am beyond thrilled that we get to have this time with Aliyah Bouawad, who over the years has become a friend. I admire you so much and the work that you do, Ali. I am, as I said during services, I think this is the fourth time that Ali has come to Ikar. One of them was virtual during um, during the COVID years. But I, I just want to be straight with us. I think that many people in America, including or maybe especially American Jews, have a lot of ideas about the Palestinian people and about the conflict in Israel-Palestine and yet have never talked to or listened to a Palestinian actually speak and share their own stories and their own experience and perspective. And it's life-changing to actually encounter one another and to be forced to move beyond our preconceptions of one another and actually begin to care about each other's stories, to find points of connection between our yearnings, our struggles, our fears, and our great hopes for the future. And for me, um, the relationship with you has, has been one of those that has helped me shape my perception of what is possible in a region that is so deeply mired in narratives that each, uh, that each people brings to the table, that it often feels like the only direction that we can move in is further and further away from one another. So Ali, I know it's exhausting to do this, to keep coming for, I don't know, has it been two decades that you've been traveling around and telling your story, different versions of the same narrative over and over and over again, but it actually matters. And I want you to know that your presence here today in this Beit Midrash, it makes a difference for us and for our hearts. And we want to be allies and we want to be friends in the journey toward a different kind of future for you and your family and for us and our families and for all of us together. And so thank you for continually opening your hearts. I know that you will speak to us today about a lot of pain and also trauma. And to repeat those stories, take something out of you. And I think that Stephen said you're at the tail end of a two-month tour right now. So I'm sure you're exhausted. <laughs> Thank you instead of napping for coming to speak to us. Um, we're really grateful to have you. So um, Ali is a world-recognized Palestinian activist and the founding leader of the Tagir, is that how we say it? The Palestinian National Nonviolence Movement, pro uh, promoting nonviolence and self-development to guarantee a nonviolent solution to the conflict. He lives in Beit Jala in Palestine um, and we will hear over the course of our um, short time together a little bit of Ali's story, um, of his background. He'll tell us a bit, I hope, about your family and how you came into the work and came to really hold the position that you do about why nonviolence is so central to whatever steps we're going to be taking to move toward a shared society, a just society, and a peaceful future. Um, and then I'd, I'm really curious, and we'll ask you questions about this movement that you are now um, the founding leader of, and ways that we can be uh, supportive of your work and um, and continue to advance and amplify calls for a different kind of uh, envisioning of the future. So Ali, thank you so much for joining us. And I would love if you'll start, oh, we can applaud. I would love if you can start by sharing with us, some people here have heard you speak many times and many people here are hearing you for the first time. So to tell us a little bit about your journey, your story, and how you came to be um, this incredible leader in the nonviolent movement. Thank you so much, and Shabbat Shalom. Uh, yes, I'm exhausted. But, you know, you cannot be tired of yourself. <laughs> and this is who I am. It's not what I do. And uh, I, if, if you would have told me, like, 20, 25 years ago that I will be here sitting next to you, speaking about any hope, then I would tell you that you lost your mind. 
because life is not exactly about this when you grow up under a military system that manage your feelings, your thoughts, your, uh, your body, your dreams. And growing up to a refugee family and my mother who has become one of the leading women of PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, living with a family that has become a target for the Israeli security all of my life. Watching my mother get arrested many times because of her political activities. Finding myself in 1987 throwing stones on soldiers, that doesn't make sense. I mean, 15 years old throwing a stone on a 60-ton Merkava tank, that is not exactly violence even though stone can hurt a human being, but you don't think about it. I mean, the purpose was not to hurt. The purpose was to be healed. And, and it didn't happen. I mean, I found myself in prison with my mother, serving years in the Israeli prison, even though I lost, you know, my dreams and my, 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 my university study. But I found myself in one of the best universities that you can imagine, prison. Because political prisoners has managed to create a whole system based on five committees to lead and manage their, our daily life. So I got the best education. Big part of my English came from there. My Hebrew has become like my Arabic. And I didn't waste time to the level that when I used to tell my friends that I'm so busy, I'm sorry for not being in touch with you, they couldn't understand what the hell I'm talking about because I'm, I'm in prison. But, you know, so day after day, month after month, I wanted to see my mother in her other prison. And uh, Israel refused. So after three years, I didn't give up. We decided to go for a hunger strike to see each other. 17 days of starvation that brought us to meet each other in prison. And when I, when I saw her, I came back to my prison very, very confused, very conflicted, because I started judging myself, telling myself, all of these years, I think we are strong, resistant, revolution, we have never achieved anything. And suddenly, by my empty stomach, I, I managed to see my mother. Then I start learning about nonviolence in prison, actually. And after four years in prison, I was released by Oslo Peace Initiative with my mother. And we were expecting to switch this identity of being revolutionary people against Israel to become citizens of a state and the values of our life to change. But this didn't happen because the failure of the peace process, the lack of est establishment of an independent Palestinian state, and we couldn't promote law, honestly, and we couldn't create social values that will guarantee some kind of uh, uh, good neighborhood with Israel, including the corruption that we start facing from our side, from our own leadership. Uh, extremist, uh, violence, attacks against Israelis, the uh, uh, settlement movement and the growth of that. People lost their hope, including international investment in the conflict, not in the solution by other outsiders. So 2000 was another intifada, another uprising, which has become more militant. And one of the victims of that intifada was my brother. I, I was badly wounded by a, a settler bullet and evacuated to Saudi Arabia. And after one month, I learned that my brother Yusuf 31 years old, was stopped by a group of Israeli soldiers. And as a consequences of an argument with the soldier, this cost him his life. So, you know, all of my life was about prices that I have to pay. 
And then this price, I cannot stand it. Because um, it's much easier to lose land, rights, dreams. But losing him was something else. Losing him was like losing Palestine. Losing my desire to live. And who on earth has the right to take my, my, my brother, my, my innocent brother life? For what? What worth such a price? On the other hand, I become so angry because anger will lead you, especially when you even live over there. People led by their emotions. But I couldn't imagine myself killing a human being. I mean, I know how to do it. I was trained as a fighter, but I couldn't. On the other hand, I'm not a killer. And why I am pushed to that position by this system. I was so weak to do anything and so weak to do nothing. And I did nothing. I was struggling with my family, my mother, my brothers. And you are not the same person. This is not the same conflict. This is not the same family. And the conditions keeps you just getting angry day by day. And this is not the past that you need to reconcile. It's my daily reality to lose my rights every day. I was lucky not to lose my mind. Until one year after, my mother received a very strange, weird phone call uh, through my brother by an Israeli Orthodox Jewish father starts saying that there is a group of parents in Israel who have lost someone in the conflict and they want to come to us, they want to pay condolences and they stand for us, they stand with us also for our legitimate rights. And for me that was shocking because this language, you don't hear it from the other side. And these people are, are absolutely fake, this cannot happen. To that level. And it was shocking that an Israeli called me to visit my house. Because Israelis used to be there, but they never call. They just come to destroy, to arrest, to damage. These are not the Israelis that I know. And I was shocked when my mother agreed to host them. She even called Arafat. He told her, for me, you are a leader. You know what you're doing. Do whatever you think is right to do. She brought Fatah leaders. She brought the mayor. She brought Palestinian bereaved parents. And by the end of the day, they show up. And after 30 minutes, everyone in that room was crying. I couldn't imagine until that minute that Jewish people can have tears. Can you imagine that? Or have humanity? Or being victims? No. How come? No way. These are the victimizers. And that was the only moment in my life I felt equal. With Jewish people, with Israeli people. And I realized that because we are not able to share what is on the ground, we are forced to share what is underground, which is the bodies of our beloved ones. And I saw a victim, and I saw a partner, and I saw hope. But wait a minute, this is not easy. I mean, it's much easier to live with your own story. It's much easier to live with your own, whether guilt or rightness. And to pick up now those enemies in my shoulder, I'm already tired by my people. And now I have no choice. And they become, yes, my partners. And my life has changed. And actually, the ones who put me to that prison of the crime of the killer of my brother are, were the same people who released me from that prison. Because you never know where life will take you.
I start touring the world with this message. I start building movements and I end up building Taghir, the Palestinian National Nonviolence Movement. So that's the story of my personal transformation. Thank you. I want to say um, I've shared with I shared with um, this community many times before. Um, the first time that I heard a Palestinian speaker share his perspective and his story, and I remember exactly where I was. I was in a synagogue in Santa Monica, not uh, not far from here, and the room was packed. And he got up and he said, "I'm going to tell you my story today to a room full of Jews." And he said, "I'm going to tell you what happened in 1948 from my perspective." And you're, some of you are going to get very angry and you're going to want to get defensive and you're going to want to jump out of your seats and even come up here and make me stop talking. But I'm asking you just to listen, because if we can't hear each other, if we can't see each other in our pain and in our beauty, we're never going to be able to take, take steps forward. And so I say that now because I also recognize as you're speaking, Ali, that there might be some people in the room who maybe have never even heard perspectives like what you're sharing right now. And I really deeply appreciate um, the opportunity to, for us to continue to make ourselves uncomfortable hearing narratives that counter narratives that we've been telling and have been told um, for many, many years. Often in the Jewish community, when we think about the intifadas, um, we're thinking about Jewish vulnerability, right? Um, and I think that that's natural in some way. Um, people look to their own extended families and fam you know, for, the, for safety first. And so you're awakening us each time you speak, you're awakening us to what the experiences of the people who are on the other side of this very painful dynamic. And I'm so grateful to you for that and grateful to this room for being um, big enough to hold, uh, to hold that truth. Um, Ali, the, the people who you started working with in um, the parents' circle, the bereaved family circle, have been doing this work now um, like you for decades and in some ways israeli society now seems to be even more polarized than it was when the work began um we participate as a community from afar in the um, yom azikaron commemoration the memorial day commemoration in which israeli and palestinian families um, speak about their loved ones who've died and it's this year i don't know how many of you were able to watch it um, but you could hear the hecklers with bullhorns in the background trying to drown out the voices of Israeli Jews and Palestinians sharing about their own broken hearts. The humanity is, is that threatening to them and to the extremist movements. Can you just reflect on where you stand now after dedicating every moment of your life now for a couple of decades to the work? Um, how do you feel about what's currently unfolding? And I don't mean about necessarily about this. By the way, um, Sean told me there was a ceasefire just a couple hours ago. So, um, so please, God, it holds and more lives are not lost. I don't mean it's specifically in this newest uh, round of, of real violence, but in general, given the broader scope of history, based on when your activism really started and what you see now many years later, um, how do you reflect on, on where the movement is going and where you see promise? That's a great question. You know, it's, it's, I, you don't need me to tell you that it's so tiring to be an Israeli, so tiring to be a Palestinian, but it's more tiring to be a change maker because you swim against everything. When we created the Palestinian side of the Parent Circle Families Forum, then after a few years, I got not tired, actually. This is the best message on earth and the strongest one. I start thinking, what, why don't we achieve anything politically? I mean, then I realized some facts. And after the Parent Circle, and after speaking to many good Israelis who has become like my brothers and sisters, I realized that we're, we're just talking to the good ones. And many Israelis will tell me, Ali, we, we stamp, we sign for you to have a state. Just leave us alone, you know? And we even, you know what? We don't, we don't want to come to the West Bank. It's an occupied area. 
We don't want to speak to settlers because these are the devils of every harm. And I realize that, I mean, you don't speak to your own people because you are bro me. On the other hand, actually, you gave the, the settlers and the settlements the best offer. You step out of it and no one is bothering them. Because most of your rallies, demonstration, are happening in the nice Tel Aviv. And, and happening in five-star peace conferences. And we, you know, we create summer camps and we send our kids there and, and our kids go back to refugee camps with no water in their houses. And they got traumatized more. Why? Because first, they have discovered that the enemy is not an enemy. On the other hand, they have discovered what normal life is about. And no one gave them this sustainable system to continue peace activism. Because the conditions are different. What serve peace in Tel Aviv not necessarily the same that serve peace in the Haitian refugee camp or in Gaza. We have to understand that. And I think the, <laughs> the issue is within the peace movement, not the right extreme right, because they are not right and they are minority. But they are organized, they have a strategy, they know how to harm, and one suicide bomber can affect the whole public opinion in Israel. We are led by what happens to us, we're not leading what is happening to us. And I landed in, in a heart of 12 settlements and a piece of land where you have been belongs to my family. And I start building an unviolent center. And I have to tell you, even though we, we own the land, but we have no right to do anything on the land. Many people told me that I lost my mind. Many people told me settlers will kill me or Palestinian will ever come here. And I started actually with a donkey who supported me. <laughs> I don't know who was clever more than the other, but he was clever. And, uh, and a group of settlers show up and, I mean, a priest from Virginia reached out to me that there is a group of Israeli settlers who want to speak to me. And now here is my exam. Am I, am I honest to myself when I say we should speak to settlers? And that was a very painful exam until I found myself having the deepest conversation about peace building, the deepest. Because mm -hmm. if, we, if we were uh, talking about borders, occupation, uh, you know, uh, rights and human rights, that conversation was, uh, was about identity. Mm -hmm. That was much deeper conversation. Then I created this initiative called Roots, the Israeli-Palestinian local initiative. And my life has not become easier. Because a lot of criticism. I think I am the only Palestinian who dare to create anything with settlers. And I had a very bad like criticism a traitor, a normalizer, all what you can imagine. But you know, to deal with this madness, you have to be enough crazy, right? So I launched that initiative six years ago, or more, seven years ago. Since then, more than 250,000 people show up. So it seems like me and the donkey were clever. So anyways, then I said to myself, okay, that's good. That's a crack on the wall. But this is not going to be the majority. It will be inspiring for some people. What about my people? That I was not avoiding, but I was not investing enough. Because every single Israeli on earth and Jewish person want to see a Palestinian peace movement. And all my presentations, people always ask me, where is, where is the partner? And I came back to my society six years ago, 
and I start launching a Palestinian independent national movement for nonviolence. Tahir, change, Shinui. And today, I am proud to say that we have thousands of people. We also act massively on the ground <clears throat> by hundreds of people. We have 23 groups all over West Bank. The biggest group is the women group of Nablus, 300 women. How we do many projects about alternative systems because our philosophy is not to resist the occupation. We don't want to resist the occupation. We want to end the occupation because resistance should not be a goal. And we don't want to do dialogue, honestly. First, we want to do dialogue with each other because if Palestinians will sustain a plan that will serve them, the beneficiaries will be Tel Avivis. Israelis will benefit from that because we are creating not victims. You know, the victimhood mentality. If two couples get divorced in Ramallah, it's the occupation to blame. Because it's easier, you know. We, we, we collect trash from the streets. We promote values of citizenship. We want to be independent, but we have no idea what does it mean to be a citizen. We are dealing with a corrupted, conflicted leadership. What would you, we do? What are we calling others, the world or Israelis, to be part of what? Where is the Palestinian agency that will connect the diaspora with, with, with inside? Where are the Palestinian resources, the Palestinian money? Why it's not invested? All of these big questions, the minute someone will start answering them, then we will be, we be, will be promoting a new model for people to give up violence. But today, people give up violence and they got nothing. They should benefit from that. This is the process of every community that adopts nonviolence. And, and amazing stories about transformation. What is happening in Israel today? Just about your question. It makes me so proud. This responsible society standing up for democracy. But if you switch the banner in this demonstration, you will see Israeli Jewish morality, not just Israeli democracy. Because this occupation has been hidden under the table in Israel for decades. Now we're facing it. Both sides are facing it. Palestinians are facing the divide, the corrupted leadership, the hopelessness, and looking at the mirror in the mirror for the first time. We need to look in the mirror. It's much easier, believe me, to hug each other over hummus. The hummus and hugs, peaceful issues, these are the easiest thing. It much, it's much easier to raise even fund awareness, uh, uh, hope, when it comes to the other side. You will sail hope to others, your life is easier. It's so hard to establish this movement and guarantee resources for this movement to grow because people just want to see the hugs, what to do. Mm. I mean, I don't mind, I like hugs. But hugs should not be the goal. Dialogue is not the goal. Dialogue is the tool for change, mm -hmm. for the next, the step next. So what is happening in Israel is showing us a responsible society. What Israel respond, what the society respond to manage their own politics. But we will, we will definitely uh, learn from. And we will stand up for those who want to stand for us. But no one will stand for us if we don't stand for ourselves. So it's not about peace building, it's about responsibility. We need a responsible society. And by the way, we don't need the majority. Follow the history. Change has not been happening through majorities. It just with organized minorities. Because when you build a bridge, you don't need million people. You need a group of professionals who build a bridge where millions can pass through. People are follow followers in general. And that's what keep me going. What keep me going are the post sides.
And there are no angels, you know? I mean, we are human beings. We do mistakes. But where is this platform to understand us? To understand our pain? To understand our anger? To know that this violence is not about hate. We don't know each other to hate each other. It's about not being able to deal with the fear. Not being able to deal with the anger, with the injustices. So nonviolence is not to heal. Nonviolence for us is an identity. This is not a tactic or a strategy. It's not a project. It's mostly who we are, especially Palestinians. We are confused between two identities, and you have to understand that. The identity of revolution that we used to be identifying with since years, when PLO was established. If you are a good Palestinian, destroy Israel. That was the value. How do we practice the relation with the land? But after Oslo, there is a new identity, which is citizenship, that we have never had. We, we, we have never had freedom. So today, young people wake up. Um, are we part of revolution or we are citizens? And no one gives them answer. No, we are both. But this revolution should not cause us a price of our life. And we're not, we should not be proud of a freedom that can be achieved in Jewish bodies over Israeli graves. And it will not happen. Even if we want, it will never happen. Because both sides will defend themselves in any action. Because this is the only place where we both belong. We're not going anywhere. If Israelis think that Palestinian can be transferred to the Arabs, I'm telling you, the Arabs hate us. They don't want us. And if we think that the world wants the Jews, we should go back to the history and learn. Right? So it's not about being Mandela. We need just responsible voices who, who will strategize hope. We need a plan for change. We never have it. The minute we will have it, I'm telling you, we can start having hope. Now it's belief. It has to be believed because what are we facing is so huge. I want to, um, I want to make sure that I'm understanding you. It feels I, I'm I'm looking at the trajectory of your career as an activist, and it seems like there are different chapters that reflect uh, a different kind of awareness that you're holding at different junctures in your life. Um, and there was a point where you believed that resistance through rock throwing was the way to be heard. Then there was a point in which you recognized that you had a stronger resistance muscle through hunger strike and through nonviolent act action than even through violence. A ch then there was a chapter of dialogue where you, you and it sounds like your family are in some ways transformed by meeting with other Israel with Israeli Jews who also have broken hearts that changed you on some level. And, and then there's a chapter in which you extend what you learned in the brief families forum that we have to see each other in our pain, in our identity and our self understanding, even to settlers who a lot, who a lot of Israeli uh, allies of yours won't even talk to, but you'll talk to them. Stop talking to me as well. Okay. My allies in Tel Aviv stop talking to me because I talk to their people. That's interesting. And now this chapter, if I'm understanding the trajectory right, is one in which dialogue is not the primary mode of moving, of advancing this conversation, but instead building power, building connection, building co real clarity with your own P Palestinian people so that you can actually meet uh, at, at some point Israeli society as equals. And I think, okay, so I, I'm saying this because um, in, the, in the room is my sister, Devorah, who was really one of the leading activists in the peace and justice space when she lived in Israel. We have Mariam and, and Andrea and, and members of, of Newground here. This is a Jewish-Muslim um, coalition to, to, to bring uh, people together who don't normally sit together and start to learn each other, learn each other's stories and honor each other's stories. And I can see how different pieces of the activism, we have Janet Halbert who's basically dedicated her life to trying to fight for a 
you know, for a two-state solution, one way, one way out of this. I remember you talking about Confederation before it was popular, like 18 years ago. I'll remember that. Ali told me first. Divorce and the marriage. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, in this room are incredible activists, each of whom, Rama, right? Each of whom had dedicated themselves to different pieces of the work that, and in your life, I think you've walked, you've moved through all of these phases of the work. And I think my sense is that it's all, all of it has a place in this story. All of the nonviolent mechanisms for social change are going to have to be activated in order to get us out of this quagmire. And that means, I think, that the dialogue piece, which is not your at the forefront of your work right now, and your criticism of it, I, I really resonate to. I resonate to the peace camp criticism because some people go home to, to a life of, of privilege and some people go home to a life behind barbed wire. We have to hear that feedback and take that seriously. I resonate to the limits of dialogue. And also I know that only through us meeting and encountering each other and me hearing you say, as you did the first time we met, I think you said something like, when your brother was killed, you, had, you found yourself fantasizing about killing a Jew. And then you realize, tell me if I'm getting this wrong, you didn't want to kill one Jew, you wanted to kill 10 Jews, you were so angry. And then you wanted to kill 100, and then 1,000, and then you broke down and you said, even if I killed all the Jews, my brother wouldn't come back. And so the only path is going to be a nonviolent path. And I remember you sharing that, and that changed my heart. So I also, as much as the, the dialogue uh, path is problematic, I also feel like, thank you for being willing to dialogue with me and with us, because I wouldn't have be the person I am if you hadn't shared that. And at the same time, your, in, your focus right now is not on the dialogue piece, but on the building Palestinian society so that it can be a society that, of real strength and dignity so that one day we can affect a different kind of outcome. I just want to make sure I'm understanding the trajectory as you share it, because I think there's a lot of opportunity for us in learning about the different nonviolent mechanisms for social change and activating many of those mechanisms at once in order to bring about the kind of transformative change that we hope will be possible. Wow. It's just my analysis. Now, now, now I understand. You, now you taught me. You taught me about your leadership because I heard about you a lot. Now I see a leader. I mean, thank you so much. Yeah, it's amazing to speak to leaders who have morality and mind and heart as well. So, so uh, yes, I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying joint initiatives are not needed. I was transformed by these initiatives, but they are not enough. We should not just do dialogue and that's it. I didn't leave roots, by the way. It's, yes, I'm not representing them because if I stay at roots with settlers, in my community, people will not accept me because it's considered as normalization. How do you normalize with Israelis? So I, I wanted to create a secure place for Palestinians to adopt nonviolence without fearing the criticism of the anti-normalization movement. And guess what? It works. It works because people feel secure. They cannot be accused talking to the other. And honestly, Israelis doesn't want just someone to talk to them. They want a responsible society that will partner with them, right? This is what the right wing say. There is no partner. So let's create this partner because no one create that partner. Maybe you are not partner. But people are not able to look at the mirror. By the end of the day, we lose if there is no peace, not just Israel. I mean, peace for Israel also is a risk to take. It's a sacrifice to have, right? It's about land. It's about trusting someone who's in, in your home to get him free. What he will do? Shall he be shooting rockets on you? Or what? I mean, all of this fear and what we experience now. So nonviolence will create the values to protect the agreement, not, not just to push for the agreement. Because it, it, it creates itself. Stephen say in this trip, we fly the plane, but we build the plane. 
while you are flying the plane. And this is the secret of it because people will start not just re reconciling between the two confusing identities, but they will start take benefits by their leadership on the ground, sustainable system, alternative systems. This is what is needed. And Israel is. Jewish people are the first people should support that. Because Israel will benefit from that at the first place. Including the Palestinian diaspora and the Arabs and everyone. So, so, so for me, standing with this movement is risk. Is risk. But you know what? I'm grateful for that risk. Because all of my life was about risks. And maybe it's better to sacrifice for solution than sacrifice for a conflict. Especially when you realize that this conflict is endless. And I always tell Palestinians, our nonviolence approach will work. You know why? Because there is enough humanity in Israel for our humanity to be seen. But we need to show it. I want to give a couple minutes for folks to ask questions um, and to engage Elisa. We'll take, let's say, two or three questions. And I'm just going to invite you to... I, to do the opposite of what I've been doing, which is talk for uh, talk for a long time and then ask a question. But um, I'm the worst model of this. But to please just uh, because be cognizant that we want to hear from a bunch of folks. So, and, um, Scott, will you just for each person, we just introduce yourselves first and uh, and then ask your question. Scott Schulman, former journalist, spent a lot of time in Gaza and the West Bank. How do you cut through the fear that Israelis have? My experience is that my friends in Israel who are very liberal people, when I mentioned to them that I had dinner in East Jerusalem, or I traveled somewhere in the West Bank, they, they convulse with fear. Like, how can you do that? And these are free-thinking people. How do you cut through that fear? First, I don't deal with Israelis as victims or survivors. The world still treats Israelis as survivors. And they treat us as victims. And this is the biggest wrong treatment. I speak with Israelis as partners, as responsible people. So if they have fear, they have parts of that to overcome. It's their responsibility. As our part is to overcome our anger, that create also that fear. That's number one. Number two, Israel need to see a movement. They need to see another speech. You know, I, I, I start saying, we should stop arguing identities. Let's learn how to start arguing behaviors. Because occupation, violence are behaviors. But let's recognize each other's identity. This will overcome that fear when Jewish people in Israel feel that their identity is recognized. In my manifesto, I wrote a manifesto of 100 pages. I said... It's the time now for us Palestinians to choose. Are we recognizing the political right of Israel to exist? Or we are ready to recognize the legitimate Jewish belonging to that land that we call home? That's a different recognition. So Israel has also to decide. Are you occupying people for security? Or are you occupying land for ideology? Because if it's about security... Yes, it's a mutual res responsibility. But it's about ideology. There is no place for us. What are we talking about? So this fear also is not because of violence or the past. This fear also is because of the price. Is Israel willing to take this painful step toward peace? That's the question. But Israel will not, as long as we stab pregnant women, shoot rockets, so send suicide bombers, it will not. Actually, we will fuel the occupation by that, not the opposite. So it's all about looking at the mirror. And finally, the Israeli and Jewish fear should not legitimize any act against our dignity. Because everyone has his own problem. And everyone has, I always say, we're both guilty and we are both right. We need to figure it out. Well, thank you. Um, I, 
I'm gonna, um, I see a couple hands in the back and then I know we have a bunch of teenagers in the room and I just wanna say if any of you, any of our students who are here wanna ask a question, I'm gonna keep eyes out for you too. So there, there's one in the back, two. Hi, thank you so much for speaking with us and sharing so openly. Uh, my name is Sammy Rosenbaum. I'm about to be a graduate of rabbinical school. So I'll be a rabbi in a week. Mazel uh, Thank you. Uh, so my question for you is about the current, uh, the current culture in America and around the world around anti-Zionism and around, uh, uh, you know, apartheid week on college campuses and, you know, the, the general understanding of the Israeli-Palestinian situation uh, amongst young folks, especially college students, and what you see could be ways to potentially move past that, or how do you see it from your view of, you know, anti-Israel rallies, Jewish students being harassed on campus, um, Jewish speakers not being allowed to speak because they're, 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 um, presentation is being protested. And so I'm curious from your point of view, how, how you see that and maybe even moving past that with your wisdom. I'll try to be short. I responded to that through my manifesto. I'm going to upset many of those that you just spoke about. I'm going to upset them because pushing Jewish people blindly to support Israel because of that is a support of occupation. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm too tough here, but this is the truth. On the other hand, it doesn't make sense to tell Palestinians don't work in Israel without building factories for them to feed their kids. This is, this is unjust. Number three, we're not equal. And I'm aware of that. I know that there is occupation and there is occupied. But I believe that we, peace activists, has never established a strategy that call people to be part of it. That's why people criticize. But let's offer them another role, an effective one, a, a role that will not speak just to, the, to their emotions. Because of the unbalanced situation, we need a plan that fit there. A plan that the biggest investment will be by changing life conditions, not just transforming heart and mind. The investment will be more in the Palestinian side. Then they will not dare to criticize the movement because we promote life. We promote conditions. This is what we do in Tahrir. That's why people follow us. That's why it's so hard to criticize us. We got one criticism by the BDS movement because we are part of a coalition called AllMap. AllMap is like 150 Israeli-Palestinian organization that nothing, they don't do anything together. It's a coalition to guarantee money from the US government to peace building. That's all. Finally, I think those voices has no offer to give. This emptiness, you know, being angry is very easy. I mean, judge, judging is easy. But when you judge something, you have to face yourself if you are so true to yourself. If I say no to this, what do I say yes for? I wrote to Abbas, I told him when, when, when Trump was elected, okay, you reject that. Where is the Palestinian peace plan? Now it's your time. Not the Saudi peace initiative, not Camp David. It's the Palestinian peace initiative. Let's embarrass this guy and tell him we have a plan. Israelis will, will push for that, right? So, so we need to create alternatives because these guys has to be embarrassed by our actions, has to be shame of these voices that just divide us. We never create that. That's why I go to campuses. I got any opportunity to speak to Palestinians because it's not to become a lover of the Jews. I mean, what I'm doing here, I'm serving my people. It's before anyone else, and I will keep doing that. Whether Israelis are happy or not, they need more than happiness. They need solution. They need more than hope. They need solution, both sides. 
So let's do it. I mean, we are capable enough. Israelis and Palestinians build countries around them. But when it comes to us, we're stuck. We're the top educated people in the world, not just in the Middle East. We can. But we need this platform with a plan and commitment and the peace movement has to change itself. Sorry. The Zionist movement has to answer big questions, tough questions. I mean, Israel has no constitution. This is very important and challenging as well. We confuse the world. Is it Hamas representing us or the PA? There is a lot of homework to be done. That's my point. Thank you. Okay, I um, our, I know that someone from, uh, we're going to have a new ground question. Um, I see Sean, and do we have a teen? A teen? We have a doctor, uh, Rabbi Dr. Avi Chavivi. Okay, any teenagers? I'm going to give you a chance. Okay, we'll go to Avi, and if, if you decide you want to uh, speak, anybody. Okay, so, um, Ben. All right, we'll do this quickly, and thank you all. Um, we'll, we'll take just a few more minutes together. I'm Avi, I was once a teen. Um, so I'm interested to know, this is really about organizing and politics, how your movement is viewed um, in Palestine and the West Bank. How does the PA deal with you? There are also a lot of Hamas allegiances on the West Bank. So how is it going with organizing and politics? Just recently, I mean, I love the description of Gandhi. How does he describe success? He said, first, they ignore you. Seems like you don't exist. Second, they tease you, provoke. Third, they attack you. Fourth, you win. Wow, wow. This is, this is the process. In the beginning, they didn't pay attention. Actually, they offered us money because of your friend, that strategic advisor of, of Abbas. They offered us money, we refused to take their money anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. <laughs> you know, blame the Jew. It is the easiest thing. <laughs> uh, no, no, I love, I love him. That guy is amazing, but that's why he's... Uh, anyways, I mean, uh, anyway. So, so, recently, we had an activity a few months ago. We brought 1,500 Palestinians to Masafir Yatta, to South Hebron Hills, where the clashes are happening. For the first time, 1,500 Palestinians stood up. We sent even a video to J Street Conference, telling them we are here. So it's not just you pushing for us, we push for ourselves. And suddenly, the Abbas office sent us a spokesperson. He came to the stage like Mandela. Sorry, bullshit. Another liar. That's it. But you know, we don't care. So there will be a level that we will be attacked. That's why we are led also by what we call the messengers of change. 72 great community leaders, people who served 20 years in prison. No one will dare to look at them and say you are doing whatever, you know? So you have also to build it. It's like always, do you want to be right or do you want to succeed? Because if, if it's about success, you have to be a great manager as well. I'm not. I'm a good leader, but I'm not a manager. We have also to allow others to manage us and to trust others. The uniqueness of the year that everyone feel a leader, not just a follower. I give a, a long answer. You should like, tell me, close your mouth. And I will, yeah. <laughs> No Jew in this room is going to tell you to close your mouth. You're going to have to self-regulate on that. Um, I, I um, really quickly, Sean and then Andrea, and then we'll close in with the, unless the teens want to say one last word. Um, Sean? So Sean and I have teens. Um, <laughs> uh, this question is actually for both of you um, because I'm guessing, Rabbi Browse, that when you were speaking at the, at the um, protest in Kfarsaba um, some weeks ago, the word Palestine probably wasn't even mentioned once. Um, and um, Ali, right, we go back a, a while, um, I'm thinking about um, the, the reality that the greatest gift to Bibi this week was attacks on Israel because it was a deflection from 
right, then you would see it the same way. What is the strategy now? Because I'd much rather Israel hear from you than from, say, Nasrallah saying how it's a great time to attack Israel. And what's the strategy on the protest side? Do we not talk about this issue because it will divide a united populace? Or do we talk about it in spite of that? So for both, I mean, like for both of you, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the now. Well, Sean is referencing um, that when I when I was invited to speak, I was told by the organizers of the protests that uh, that there's certain words that we are not speaking in these protests, including Palestine occupation pogrom. Um, and I actually, as I just shared with um, some folks last night, I mean, I really struggled. Like, so then, do you not take the stage because if you're given a platform but you're not allowed to say things that you think need to be said? What do you do? And I, I realized in this moment that it was better to say something, even though I couldn't say everything. And I spoke about the need for dignity and equality and justice for all people living in this land. And so it was a and, and a lot of people are doing this in the protests. It is a kind of uh, a kind of a very clearly coded language to say um, w exactly what I yearn for and what we what many of us believe in. There is a there was a strategic decision made by the protest leaders that in order to stop the judicial coup, um, which is the trip, you know, the train barreling off the cliff, that they had to have a big tent movement. And that meant that they were going to suppress uh, certain voices. That does not feel good to a lot of people. Um, however, they have been extremely successful because it's been 16 weeks in a row, with the exception of tonight, because I think they called off the protest because of for, for, they were worried about the safety of the protesters tonight. Um, and there is a very, uh, there's a small but strong anti-occupation block at all of the protests. And those are the people who are um, holding signs in Demokratia in Kivush. There's no democracy if there's occupation. Um, speaking in a different kind of language, um, I think many of the people in this room would resonate to and find their way toward the anti-occupation block to strengthen it. That block is growing over the course of these weeks. And this protest movement is not about ending the occupation. This is not about Palestinian dignity. Unfortunately, the massive influx of you know people every single Saturday night at protests are not there because they're devastated by the housing demolitions in Area C. They're there because they believe that de the democracy that Jews in Israel have experienced um, is at, is um, at risk. And I believe, and the reason that I still that I very much support the protests and feel optimistic about the protests, nevertheless, um, that when you shout and chant and hold signs and preach democracy, equality, justice, and dignity for all week after week after week, at some point you start to realize what you're saying and start to believe your own words and begin to imagine that we can manifest a kind of reality in which that is true, not only for Jews who live in that land, but for all the people who live in that land. I definitely agree. And let's not forget that this is the first time a massive movement in Israel stand for a political issue. Democracy is a political issue. And I always said there is these two banners, morality and democracy. And in my opinion, this movement has to be supported and the expectation about the occupation should not be so high because if they succeed in what they rise for now, they will grow to rise for other things. But first, they have to succeed with no weakness. Raising the occupation issue is like handling the death penalty for, for, for the protest itself. And I can understand deeply that. So, so we, we should consider that. And believe me, the first thing that I want to see as Palestinian is in the occupation in Tel Aviv. But sometimes, again, you want to succeed or do you want to be right? So, and I think they are clever enough to, they know what, what, what to do. On the other hand, they need the other side. As you said, not the rockets of the other side. But let me tell you one thing. Maybe one month ago, I was telling Stephen, the only savior for Netanyahu from his own people is a war with Gaza. Mm -hmm. I said that in public one, two months ago or one month ago after the demonstration when they start growing. And it's an ugly game, I'm sorry. These guys, I mean, this, Netanyahu is the best manager and creator of Jewish fear. He created that fear and he invested in politics. 
On the other hand, I know that what is happening from the Palestinian side is not helping. But people don't believe in it. People are fed up. People are tired. And they feel it comes back to itself. Every two, three years, another war, then ceasefire, and that's it. So people start giving up in their own leadership and their own, you know, movements that use them as, as you know, what fuel for their own politics. And it's happening. Finally, the good thing that this right-wing government did, they brought the conflict to argue the identity issue. It's not about now. It's not about just security. It's not about borders. Now, what is happening within the subtler right-wing movement within the government, there is a question between Israelis and Palestinians on the table now, the identity. And that's big step, in my opinion. But it needs a massive, a huge uh, grassroots efforts. Um, Stephen, I want you to d invite to you to come up and just share the, some words about how folks can support um, this work now if they're so moved to do so. And it's your birthday, so it feels like the appropriate way to yes. close yeah. uh, our gathering today. You sang happy birthday to me earlier at Ali's behest. Um, born the day before the British uh, left the Palestine mandate. Um, you know, something has been so reinforced for, for me in a beautiful way by this conversation. Um, some, sometimes in the pit of my stomach, doing the work I've done with Ali or other work within the Jewish community, I get impatient and saying, we Jews, we always think it's about us. And yes, it's about us, but it, 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 it's about the other and our relationship to us. But I've, you know, what I have learned is that that being for a Palestinian movement that through um, social change, self-development, uh, organizing Palestinians in cooperative action to change the environment that can lead to a, a peaceful solution and end the occupation is about the Jews as well as about the Palestinians. And it's a, it's a difficult ask that we make because why don't you work with Israelis? But Ali works for Palestinians in order to work for Israelis. I mean, the, the, the connection is always there. So on the back table, you'll see um, uh, there is um, a promotional flyer about the work of Tahir on the ground. This is what we need support for. There's my business card. There, 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 there's a way to give support. We're not just looking for financial uh, response. I sometimes feel um, like the latter-day version of the donkey with Ali <laughs> um, going around. There, there are many wonderful people. I mean, I, I, I see people who have given of themselves at various uh, times to help you know, bring Ali to the fore. Get in touch with us. Get in touch with me if you think that you want to be part of something not necessarily through financial resources to sustain this movement. And then beyond that, there's a card with a picture of Ali on it. You've seen him talk about uh, the manifesto, in which is, yes, it, 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 it tells you why Tahir was formed, but it goes beyond that into what personal social transformation, uh, personal and social transformation, how they can happen and make societal change. You can get uh, just by giving your email you'll get a excerpt from that where you were negotiating with an, a terrific publisher the one who published uh, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow I mean something that can make a difference in terms of the conversation and then there are other big things involved with that Ali in Beit Umar hundreds of meters from where his brothers were killed in a place where they can get building permits is building an international nonviolent center if you're interested in that, be in touch with that. It's a lot, but I mean, you've given a lot to us, and thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. Um, I, our, well, for those who've been uh, sticking around Icar, our week began with the mayor from, of Tel Aviv, Ron Huldai, who's been a mayor for 25 years in Tel Aviv, um, talking to us about his vision um, for a just and peaceful future. Um, and our week closes with you and your wonderful voice. And I'm just so deeply grateful to you, Ali. And I hope anytime you're in Los Angeles, you know that 
you will find a, a welcome home here. And I hope that God blesses you with continued strength um, and, and continued both strategy, moral clarity, um, and also hope. We're so grateful to be your friends. Thank you so much Thank for being so much. with us. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe. And please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission, to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you, maybe even in person, sometime soon.